This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Darshan Yohai. Malaysian politics has largely been centered around racialized narratives, which is bad in and of itself. But what's particularly interesting is how Indians, almost similar to the Orang Asal or Orang Asli, are regularly not featured even in this racialized discourse. The narrative is always Malays versus Chinese. But just how important is the Indian vote and what are the struggles the community faces? Joining me on the show today is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Great to be here. Good afternoon. As mentioned in my introduction, Malaysian politics has largely been centered around racialized narratives, which is not good. But my question is, why are Indians not even featured in this discourse? Why is it always Malays versus the Chinese? So let me challenge a bit of some of what you said about uh, race politics being bad. All right. I think that clearly there's no question it is, right? There is a hierarchy uh, in terms of the racial communities. There's zero-sum competition where people are pitted against each other. And, of course, it's a very divisive type of politics. And we can see it, 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 more fundamentally these sets of paramountcy of race and issues that are tied to that religion have basically had a very negative impact in terms of considerations for policy and, and also to reach compromises on sets of issues. But I do think there is also some, there is something very important about racialized politics that involves the issues of minorities and that it is a sense that it is it's an acknowledgement uh, a sense of inclusion and that and that and the indian community in particular you know this involves issues of religion this involves issues of placement in the community um, and there is a sense of pride and culture so i don't think all racial politics is bad i just think that the the components of what uh, has actually been the focus point um, has been has been extremely destructive, and this is a segue to answer your question, which is you know why is it always about the Malays and the Chinese? Uh, it is because these, of course, are largely the dominant communities. We see the minorities being left out, not only the Indians, the Orang Asli, the communities in Sabah and Sarawak. And what is unfortunate is that you know this is a community that is not invisible, but it's but it is a the one that I would say is ignored. And, and it is a reflection of this racism that exists uh, uh, in the system among the dominant communities towards the Indian community. But it also has to do with divisions within the Indian community itself. Uh, there is a lot of uh, destructive behavior where there are, they don't build alliances. Uh, there's, a, there's competition among different leaders, uh, and often there's poor governance of the programs about that are addressing the Indian community. And I think this, this basically undermines uh, the effective representation of this community uh, within the political process. So, like we just like you just mentioned, you know, Indians tend to be ignored in, in when it comes to the narratives, political narratives, and and policies and things like that. But in reality, how important are Indian the Indian voter base when we translate that to to election results? How important is the Indian swing vote? Extremely important along the West Coast. Um, I think there are two ways of looking at this. First of all. 
Indian uh, mobilization has been extremely important in contemporary Malaysian politics. Uh, and we saw this, you know, in 2008 uh, with the Hindref protests. Without those protests, there would not have, uh, the opposition would have not have broken the two thirds of, of BN control, which it was an important step to change the political transformation of the system. Uh, I think we've also seen around certain sets of issues that involve the Indian community, such as uh, religious rights and others, uh, have always been, have, become, have continued and persisted as a very important um, part of the political narratives, especially questions of social justice and equality, uh, which the Indian community, uh, disproportionately many Indian leaders have spoken out about that in the political spectrum. Um, but in terms of numbers, um, we, we can see that the Indian vote is concentrated um, along the West Coast. Right. Uh, it's important in, in, and essentially uh, from a perspective of political clout, it's, a, it's particularly important in Johor, Malacca and Perak. Uh, uh, the actual, in terms of numbers, it's also important in places like like in Selangor. So if we look at the kind of their eight plurality seats where they're over 20 percent, you know, seats like Kotaraja, um, uh, as an illustration, uh, you know, you do see uh, some of these particular seats that are very important, Ipubarat, Rasa, Batukawan, Bagandatu, Singasiput, uh, Port Dixon, where I think the Indian community is going to be very important, uh, and Patalanja. The, uh, so some of these are in very heavy, uh, large number of populated seats like PJ and, 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 and Potoraja, but in seats such as uh, um, Batukawa and Port Dixon and Sungai Suput, these seats will, uh, will be divide, decided by the Indian community. And this is also true at the state levels. Um, and we saw this in Johor and Malacca in the final outcome of the election results there. Indian support um, for Pakatan Harapan has been on a decline over the past few years. Um, and you have highlighted this on, in your article, in your, in your analysis on Malaysia Kini as well. Why has Indian support declined over the years? We have to understand uh, that there's a kind of dynamic that took place, right? So in 2018, we saw for the first time what we call in political science a situation of nominal representation, which meant that the numbers of Indians that went into parliament were, were the highest it ever was. Uh, and this, you know, it was really, you know, gave a sense of, hey, we're here, we have a place at the table, people are listening to us. But what happened in the Pakistan Harapan government, and arguably since that, in the, in the different uh, PN slash UMNO governments, is that there hasn't been a translation of nominal representation into substantive representation. So many of the programs that are supposed to be implemented to address the concerns um, are actually uh, don't translate. Let me get, and what happens is, is that the implication is that once elections are over, then the, the community is forgotten. Pakatan Harapan, I think, was stymied because Mahathir Muhammad never put placement of strengthening the Indian community. Um, and then I feel the only prime minister who has actually had a blueprint that was meaningful for the Indian community was Najib Razak. And that's why he still remains popular among large Indian community, because he had tremendous outreach. He was trying to get their support um, to maintain his position politically. And what we saw is that uh, there were kind of significant outreach in terms of programs. 
But another big challenge uh, with the issue of the decline of support is that the management of the programs that are for the Indian community um, are poorly governed. There's tr- they, they're, rank- they're full of scandals. Mitra is a recent example of that. Um, but, you know, what happens is that those who control these programs, uh, which I think we've seen particularly under the Barça National uh, uh, dynamics, and when uh, what happens is that they become, you know, troughs to take money uh, as opposed to... To, to actually yield results for the, the good intentions that many of these programs have. Uh, and so poor governance and, and lack of inaccountability um, are, are part of a part of the reason why we see uh, the programs not putting forward. But then, as I said, after elections, they become uh, the Indian community doesn't get the, the attention that it needs. And I do think it is important to use a combination of a kind of merit-based and social needs assessments, as well as recognizing the unique circumstances, the cultural dynamics that exist for this community. So, for example, in Johor, uh, the, in, the allocation towards the Indian community was, you know, ha- uh, 500,000 ringgit. Uh, and that was to focus on building Little India and JB. So what about the rest of the uh, the communities um, in terms of the budget, uh, in the Johor budget, as an illustration, right? So it, what it ends up is being caught into a patronage network, I mean, because obviously there are people, the contractors are going to be bidding on this, as opposed to actually looking at addressing the systemic issues that the Indian community are facing. No, I think you bring up fantastic points there, right? About especially with with regard to Najib, because, uh, for example, like a family member of mine has been teaching underprivileged um, Indian students, Indian children for about 30, 40 years now, um, and she says that you know when you, when she just this is of course anecdotal. Um, she when she talks to their parents and and whatnot. Um, Many of them understand the, the kleptocracy and, and the one MDB and, and you know and, and all of these things, but they say they they kind of like Najib because at the very least he made them feel seen, he made them feel heard, and I think this is something um, a point that you bring up that is very important. Now, what there, there are two f- sort of numbers you you bring up in in your article which caught my attention. One of it is you mentioned that Perikata National managed to capture an estimated eleven percent of the Indian support away from Harapan. What exactly did Prikata National offer? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, uh, hate to, to put it in a very uh, gross Jerry Maguire way, but it's show me the money um, in that context. The right. patronage network was very important. Um, during the campaign, resources were used. But the sense, however, was during that time with the Muhyiddin government in places such as uh, what you saw was that there was an attention towards um, needs-based uh, uh, financial support. And we have to look at the rec- recognize the reality is that the, the Indian community has very high levels of vulnerability. The statistics about income levels, about the, the kind of the social distribution, where uh, more than half of the Indian community is in the lower half of the income levels, uh, speak to the fact that the issues of resources and, and, and assist financial assistance are extremely important, and they hold sway. And, you know, keep in mind, we're in a time of politics where, you know, all of the parties have lost their glitter. They've lost their shine. So people are looking at, and they have to ask themselves, well, if I'm not going to get the idealism or the promises that they want to have, then what am I going to get now? What am I? And this is especially important 
for uh, vulnerable families who are actually, you know, uh, you know, looking to in a very difficult positions and looking at the political process and saying, I I have to have a social network that will help me sustain my livelihoods. And that and this is where PN has been more effective, at least in the election so far. They have they use a lot of resources. Which brings me to the to another interesting number that you highlighted in your article, which is that 38% of Indians did not even go out to vote at the Johor state elections. I'm wondering if it goes back to, to the point you brought up earlier, to what we discussed, where they just don't feel seen or heard or represented. So it's a question of then why why even bother? Well, I think, you know, we have to talk to our, talk about the systemic issues that the mm-hmm. Indian community feel, right? There is, you know, a history of displacement that is well-rooted in uh, um, in history from not just in the contemporary era. People were pushed off the estates. They move into the urban areas. They're pushed into urban areas. We have, you know, uh, people have to find different vehicles to maintain their livelihoods. Uh, so we have some communities, for example, and young men have to join gangs for a, 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 a vehicle for social mobility, for example, right? uh, while others are, are looking for educational opportunities and that they're constrained by the quota system that actually uh, limits their capacity to fulfill their dreams. And of course, they have lack of, they have comparatively lack of scholarships compared to other communities. So therefore, it basically gives them less opportunities. So, you know, a lot of this has to do with these systemic problems that the Indian community face. And I think one of the things about the Najib blueprint, and I, and I think it's well known that I'm not a, a fan of Najib Razak in terms of his leadership, but I think on this particular area that one of the things that he, he did is that the studies really reached out across communities to lay out some of the systemic challenges. Um, and I think we saw when Pakatan Harapan came in, they did focus on a few of the issues in it, uh, that were important, like some elements of strengthening vocational uh, training. There were some citizenship issues addressed. But the problem is, is that they, they didn't have enough of a profile of these issues because of the way that the politics is still seen within a racialized lens. Uh, that if you're, if you're helping the Indian community, why aren't you helping me, for example, be it the Malays or the Chinese in that context? So the, the, there wasn't a, you know, a kind of adequate recognition of the kind of underlying systemic issues and then the, the steps and the policies that are, would move in that direction. It, it, there is, you know, across the political spectrum, Indian men, members of parliament and representatives often talk about the limited space that they have to even raise these sets of concerns. And this is this goes back to the initial comment when we talked in the very beginning. You know, is it good to have racialized politics? Is it bad to have racialized politics? Because right. when because there are unique characteristics that involve the cultural dynamics of, of families and the conditions of the families, and and you need targeted programming that addresses that uh, and the, and the systemic displacement of these communities that that, that are that are longstanding uh, in that context we have tremendous anthropological work that, that really highlights these these patterns at the same time uh, you know when you focus on one community it always becomes a kind of zero-sum type of politics on the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. After the break, I ask her what political party should do in the next two weeks to galvanise Indian support. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 
Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. And we're talking about Indian swing voters ahead of GE15. So Bridget, you brought up the Malaysian Indian blueprint. Um, has, that has been, you know, many people have talked about that particular blueprint over the years. But has there been any other serious programs by previous administrations or even the administrations that have come after Pakatan Harapan when we look at whether it's Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin, Ismail Sabri, to address all these issues that you just highlighted? Yeah, I mean, displacement, social mobility, mm-hmm. discrimination, uh, you know, these are uh, questions of, of, of economic advancement, but also the, the existing of poverty, not only in urban areas, but also in the rural areas, in the right. rural estates. Um, I think that in terms of the other programs, uh, we have saw, you know, uh, the, the approach has always been to compartmentalize these through certain types of programs. And this is where what the way the MIC has sort of had its, its influence in politics to have to set up these particular funds and others, many of which these funds have been extremely, um, uh, should we say, uh, uh, looted uh, for for corruption issues in terms of this mismanagement of those funds. Um, And I think, you know, this is the challenge is to find programs that are targeted, but at the same time, programs that cross the spectrum in this regard. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, there has not been as good a program and as good as a program as the Indian Blueprint in terms of the overall scope. But I think it, it, it's the time to actually have a rethink of what it is. Um, and I think what we saw, for example, um, uh, in, in Selangor State Government is that they've set up a program to sort of look at the Indian community issues in Selangor in a more meaningful way and to set up a kind of co- a group of, act of, 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 of experts to begin to start to have a set of initiatives. I think this is a, a recognition that, that there hasn't been enough progress us and, the, and to draw and to bring attention to that, they, those plans have yet to been uh, outlined. But I believe that they're in process, and I think that you know similar types of initiatives need to be done at multiple levels of governance, uh, and, and to begin to kind of uh, think about what are the particular challenges that the community faces, uh, be uh, you know from the perspective of being able to practice their faith uh, to being able to get their children to go to school. Now, there is a sentence in your article which I find particularly interesting given the timing of this interview. Um, And I quote, Harapan leaders, notably Charles Santiago, have repeatedly called for broader initiatives to regain momentum to address the needs of this community. Now, I cannot agree with you more. Um, He has always been a champion of marginalized voices, um, including the um, Indian community. But interestingly enough, Pakatan Harapan has decided to drop Charles Santiago despite um, the anger um, from people of Klang on social media. Another prominent name who has done strong grassroots work with the Marhain across races, but especially touching on the hearts and minds of urban, semi-urban, rural, poor Indians, is Dr. Jay Kumar of PSM, who defeated the late MIC president, Sami Velu, in 2008. Now, many were hoping that PH would accept PSM's request to form an electoral pact, but that didn't come true. Um, PKR has also dropped um, Sivarasa. Now, I'm wondering what signal this sends to marginalized communities, particularly Indians across the nation. You know, ideally, I think, you know, Malaysia wants leaders that see past color uh, for many Mm -hmm. people, 
right? The, the problem is, is that uh, the politics is rooted in that. But the politics is also rooted in a system of which it gives power to the party leaders from signing the Watika all the way to making the candidate selections. Um, we, can, we have to recognize that within political parties, um, there are the interests are, are paramount of basically political loyalties now, as opposed to basically choosing the right people for the right, can, right candidate. And they're also looking at what they consider as winnability uh, in that context. So these two things come together. In the case of uh, uh, Jayakumar, I think it's the issue of winnability. In the case of uh, Charles Santiago, I think it had to do with party politics that helped him to be displaced right. um, in that context from his roots. In the case of as it was in the case of Sibirasa, uh, in that particular dynamic. Now, but the problem, however, is is again that Indian voices are not at, uh, are marginalized even in the very senior leadership within the political parties. Right. Um, they're compartmentalized and treated as silos in that context. So even look at how BN has engaged with the MIC. They basically dropped them from some of their seats. And, and then they, they've given them their seats, the, the seats that they had won in the past to other parties without consultation. And so no one, I mean, it, it, and it's, it's about how these things are handled as much as what is being handled itself, right? Um, and, the, and this process of, of candidate selection controlled by the leaders, um, it, which is a non-democratic process of, uh, it, and uh, potentially allows those biases to, to be uh, uh, to be uh, accentuated, and at the same time, but also we can see it creates sources of conflict, which is what we're at the stage of now for the first week of the campaign, where we're, we're going to have a lot of the kind of responses in the next few few days from parties to this context. Pete. Pakistan Harapan put out their leaders a little earlier, so therefore we saw we saw that for a few days, and I think those things will begin to ebb as attention moves to other things. But I think there are other concerns itself, right? Um, there, besides the systemic problems in the candidate selection, there's a lot of division within the Indian community itself. Uh, its leaders you know, fight each other as opposed to work together. Uh, and I think that, uh, and this, and so there is not the sense of, uh, you know, and this is, this is not un, unsurprising, right? Because the community has been marginalized uh, and therefore the space for them to engage is, is very constrained. And then therefore we see this kind of, you know, this, this pattern, right? You know, there's been divide and rule uh, and divide, and often Indians divide themselves further um, and, and this kind of trying to find a place of the system. Um, and I think, you know, one of the interesting things uh, is that there is, you know, there is more debate and discussion of the solutions. The problem is, is getting the political space. The Indian community will not be able to change the certain challenges they face until they find allies uh, or at least common ground with other communities on the issues that they are facing. Um, be it on areas of education, be it in areas of social mobility, be it in areas of the particular challenges of, of religious displacement and and access to to the to, you know to the, the discriminatory access to to, to governance and to uh, facilities. Right? You know, Indians people face uh, in Malaysians face problems and, and significant discrimination of accessing housing, accessing jobs. Uh, people look at people's names. Uh, and, and, they, and, they, and unfortunately, they're treated with disrespect as a, as a result of that. And I think this is this, these challenges have to be uh, both within po 
policies, uh, but also in terms of shifting the values in the education system to address how uh, these kind of very, uh, I think, corrosive practices. And where I think, you know, a lot of this is going to come from are from a new generation of, of leaders, of young people who see these issues in a very different way. And so, while I think that you rightly to raise the concerns about the these men that have been displaced, who have been figures for in Malaysian politics for a long time, and I think will continue to play important roles in discussions of issues as they move forward. But I also draw your attention to new Indian candidates who are running, um, who are of a younger generation, who have a different outlooks, offer new, fresh perspectives. Um, you know, we see, you know, Indian women candidates in places like Buntong. Uh, we see Indian candidates who come even within the context of, uh, of uh, the DEP uh, in context of places like Perak and Selangor. Huh? Uh, you know, there are still a tremendous amount of Indian leaders uh, that are emerging. Uh, it's just they don't get the same level of profile. Right. But on that note, when we are looking at, you know, just GE15, right, um, on the flip side, you brought up BN earlier um, and some of the moves they are making. Um, you know, they have brought on the likes of Makal Sakti, um, Indian Progressive Front, and the Malaysian Indian Muslim Congress, Kima, to their fold. Um, now, these may not necessarily be substantive representation, and these may not necessarily be progressive parties. However, in politics, perception does matter. I'm wondering if these kinds of moves will bode well among the Indian masses and galvanize certain segments of the Indian community to vote for BN because it seems at least that they are, you know, sort of uh, being more inclusive uh, just from a perception um, point of view. So this is a double-edged sword, right? So traditionally, BN strength is that it's been able to use and accommodate differences by allowing more people at the table because it has a bigger coalition. Uh, and so what we see by their um, element of bringing in these alternative Indian voices, it is an attempt to try to kind of reach out to the diversity that exists within the Indian community. Um, but at the same time, and I think, and that has been successful because it, it galvanizes. But keep in mind the seats that these candidates have been given are, are, are areas where there are small Indian minorities, comparatively speaking, with the, perhaps the exception of Batu uh, and a few others, right? I think what we see is a situation where um, it, they're still riding very much on the B, the BN. Uh, but it is also having a, 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 the other side of the equation is that it's also dividing these, the Indian community. Um, and it allows people to, and it feeds that competition and that divisiveness and the destruction of uh, destructiveness. And competition is healthy, but but it, but unfortunately, sometimes the competition in the Indian community can be, you know, um, can be very very counterproductive to raising the kind of the issues of the agenda of the uh, and the concerns and the needs of the Indian community, where there needs to be, you know, because the challenge, the focus ends up being. In, divided within themselves, as opposed to uh, sort of fundamentally changing the narrative um, uh, for, for the community, because as a minority, uh, you have to you have to get allies among the other majority communities, and it can't just be about 
you know, uh, you know, please look after us. It has right. to be by looking after us. We were helping helping everyone for that to 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 rise, and that in fact, actually, we're we're helping you when we become stronger. And, and the and this is the you know this type of co- you know collaborative narrative, this narrative of being able to to kind of uh, you know to make sure that uh, minorities are not left behind. Um, and not moving away from zero-sum politics it, it is not being fueled by this type of uh, politics of, of division that I think that Barasan is actually accentuating. So we've got about um, less than two weeks, uh, more or less, or two weeks or so before elections on the 19th. What should parties do? Because as, as, we, as you pointed out very early in this conversation, that Indians are a large swing voter sort of segment, it could, they can swing to either side, um, whether it's BN, Pakatan, or even Perikatan National. So what should political parties do in the very short span of time that we have left before GE to try and convince these swing voters to vote for them? So we have two different types of politics on, the, on display during this election. The first is the politics of patronage. And we can see that BN, uh, even with his appointment of these different uh, uh, units and uh, groups have been given, it's all about patronage, right? Uh, but I think uh, at the, or the other, that particular dynamic, right, is of how PN and BN are operating is they're trying to use resources to try to woo people. Um, it, my personal view um, is that uh, you know that uh, that the, the money may be needed, um, and and this is the reality of the dynamics. But I think people can choose to vote that is not dependent on that money. But for many people, they are dependent on it, and they don't make that distinction. So I think the patronage uh, politics is very very strong right now, um, especially in, in among large sections of the Indian community. The second uh, way of this is, of course, about the promise politics, right, to promise to have new programs, new agenda um, in this context. And I think this is where it is important for uh, everyone across different communities to, to pull their representatives to, uh, to the fi- feet to the fire and say, these are the things that we want and need. And, and, we want, and you're promising some of these things and they need to be are, need to be delivered. And I think it's identifying the key things uh, and speaking out about those issues. It is a window in the next two weeks uh, to say these are the things that are needed. And, and if there's too much on the table, you're not going to get it. So it's about prioritizing the things that are the most urgent um, uh, that, uh, that, that can actually you know, help to sort of change the political narrative and to yield some results after the, after the election uh, is over. Otherwise, uh, the, then it returns to the politics of division and, and displacement and ignoring the community, which has been an unfortunate roller coaster pattern that has been going on for too long. Before we wrap this conversation up, Bridget, would you have a final message or some final thoughts for us? I think that, um, you know, my, my, my point across this country is no matter who it is, please vote. Uh, I think, and, uh, and minority votes 
uh, are going to count just as much as any, anyone else in these races. Uh, and that, uh, but the politics won't stop at the election. The politics and the concerns for the Indian community will continue afterwards. Uh, and I think that uh, this is an opportunity to draw attention to them, but the, ultimately the momentum to, to actualizing programs that empower the community and empower the Malaysia as a whole uh, has, to, has to take place afterwards and has to continue. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here as always. That was Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.